Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the fifth Sunday in May. Yay! Five Sundays in a month happens only twice a year, and this just, how, just so happens to be one of the Sundays where I had the worst sleep ever. Anybody else? Woo! So if I start repeating myself, you can just politely signal me. Now, the signal will be tugging on your ear. I can't see that. But, but if you keep tugging on your ear, maybe somebody else will notice and have the courage and be like, dude, you're repeating yourself. Keep going. Or just stop, man. Whatever it might be. Here, we're glad that you're here today, whether that is in person or online. We're smack dab right in the middle of this series that we've called The Art of Hope. We're walking through the book of Philippians, seeing what we can learn and discover together about what it means to love and live like Jesus in a really crucial stage of our growth and development individually, but also communally here at Sea Road. If you have yet to celebrate with somebody, it being the fifth Sunday sometime today. You got five digits on your hand, give somebody a high five, okay? And be like, happy fifth Sunday, sound good? This is also the tipping point in our series because after this, we start our descent, meaning we start ending our way into this book. This is right smack dab in the middle. We're gonna be looking at another part of Philippians chapter two. So if you got your Bible ready, why don't you open it with me right to chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. We're going to dig into this together, see what we can learn and uncover about hope. Now remember, hope is more art than science, meaning that it, it's not going to be like as formulaic as we desire. Not going to be like if we do X, Y, Z, it's going to equal this. Sometimes we're going to have to be creative in the way that we learn and navigate through life and fight for a posture of hope in the most challenging of circumstances. We're gonna discover a little bit more about that here today as we dig into these particular verses. We've covered that God, God is faithful to complete the work that he started in us. We learned that in chapter one, verse six. Hopefully you've been taking up the challenge to memorize that verse and, and claim it in the moments that chaos seems to be reigning supreme. Then we learned a little bit about being a citizen of heaven. We talked about kingdom DNA, and today we're gonna to be talking all about passion-filled pursuits. Passion-filled pursuits. Starting in verse 12 of this second chapter. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it is even more important Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one could criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life, then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. So this point in the letter, Paul's starting to drive home some themes and some ideas that he wants this group of people to take with them moving forward, to live into in, in increasing capacity to the best of their ability. And we're going to cover these three passion-filled pursuits 
from this text of verses that we're going to have a little bit of fun together. The first is this. It's completely countercultural and counterintuitive, okay? Obedience is freedom. Obedience is freedom. That doesn't make any sense. We live in a world that celebrates rebellion. We live in a world where, you know, and I like it, man. I like to work the system to my advantage, okay? If any of you have ever talked to me about traveling, you will know that I have a system where I can accrue traveling points that allows me on my salary to take my massive family on adventures that shouldn't be accessible to somebody like me. I take advantage of that system. I learn to maybe cut some corners, multiply some things, Maybe you've heard stories of how people try and do this in our world. You know, maybe, maybe it's a trucker keeping double books. Maybe it's, you know, the tax. When we go to our tax season, it's, it's claiming a little bit more than we're entitled to. Whatever it is, we're looking to maximize whatever revenue, whatever benefit there is to us in the system. Now, what Jesus says and what Paul reminds us here in verses 12 and 13 is that we're supposed to live innocent lives. We're supposed to live lives that speak to who God is. That means that obedience is actually freedom. That's a really hard idea and concept for us to digest because some of us fear that God, if we follow him, is going to ask us to do things we don't want to do. I can remember being 10 years old, bike riding from my elementary school back home and with a buddy of mine who also knew Jesus, and he was teasing me about the girl next door. Her name is Jennifer. Now, Jennifer and I were frenemies. Like, if we had nobody else to, to hang out with, we'd hang out with one another. But in no way, shape, or form was there any sort of romantic feelings of any kind, at least on my part, for this individual. And I remember talking to my friend Corey about God and just following him and as a young 10-year-old. And, and uh, I remember having this really cool conversation. I came home and I shared it with my mom and, and my mom and my dad. They, they made mention of, of a few things, and then they said, hey, Jason, what about that girl Jennifer? You, you seem to, like, hang out with her a lot. Could there be something there? And I remember uttering this phrase, I will never marry that girl. Instantaneously, that was followed up with, like, a, ooh, don't say never, because when you say never, it quite possibly could be a reality. Right there, this, this notion was birthed in my mind and in my heart that if I follow Jesus, sometimes he's going to ask me to do things I don't want to do. So if I'm obedient to Jesus, that's not freedom. I'm happy to say I didn't marry the girl next door. Woo! <laughs> I married the other girl that captured my heart. Sometimes if we're honest with each other, we're afraid that God's going to ask us to do things we just don't want to do. And so we struggle in walking out obedience because we just, we just don't want to do it. Like when he says, love your neighbor, it's like, it's, I'd rather hate my neighbor. It's a lot easier to fling feces over the fence than it is to talk to somebody Sometimes, if we're honest, we're afraid that if we say yes to God, he's going to ask us to do the one thing that we just don't want to do. 
And yet Paul is writing to this group of Jesus followers that we benefit from today as we study many years later, this whole reality that we are called to live innocent lives, lives that speak to our love for Jesus. And guess what? If we're not saying yes to Jesus, we're not living for him. And that's the sobering reality. We have to get this thought into our minds and into our DNA. Obedience is freedom. You don't think that a God who designed the whole world meticulously and carefully doesn't have the best in mind for you and I? Put it to the test. Follow what he's saying. Think about the last thing that God might have said to you. And you're like, maybe God's never spoken to me. I bet you that he has. See, God speaks to us in so many different ways. Sometimes he speaks to us through the truth of the word, the Bible. Something is read and it just, it just hits us and it sticks with us and we can't get it out of our minds. That's God speaking to you. Sometimes it's seeing an incredible sunset or sunrise. Sometimes it's seeing something out of the ordinary in nature that captivates our imagination. God can speak through people. He can speak through signs and wonders and natural revelation in so many different ways. The problem is sometimes you and I, we have stopped listening. Some of my kids really like to talk. I got five of them. So the quota in talkers to non-talkers is four talkers, one non-talker. Really hoping that it balances out over time. The four talkers, they like to talk about everything. And here's the thing about a talker. Sometimes they're just talking at you. They're not talking with you. And they know. They've gotten to the point where they know where I'm completely not tracking with them any longer in a conversation. And they call me on it. Like they'll start saying random stuff. And they'll be like, remember you said yes, you agreed to that. And I'm like, no, no, I didn't. Oh, dad, were you not paying attention in our conversation? See, sometimes what happens is those talkers, when I stop listening, they stop talking. When I stop listening, they stop talking. They'll go talk to somebody else that's more willing to listen. And the honest truth is sometimes that's exactly what happens in our own relationship with God. He's been trying to get our attention for years, for decades, in some way, tapping us on the shoulder, reminding us. And, and sometimes it's frustrating because he's saying the same thing. I want you to love your neighbor. I want you to do this for me. I want you to know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And he keeps knocking on that door and he keeps delivering that message, but, but there are times where we just stop listening. We stop listening because we don't believe this truth that obedience is freedom. Man, if you struggle with the way that you look, if you struggle with the way that you interact in the world, can you not hear that God has made you fearfully and wonderfully in his image, that he doesn't make junk, you are not imperfect in a way that he hasn't intended, you are exactly the way that you are made to be, so that he can show you that you matter in this world and that he can show through your life that his power is alive and active. 
See, sometimes, sometimes we walk into life and walk around life with these afflictions that keep bothering us and they keep bubbling up after time, after a period of time, and, and they just emerge and they're frustrating and we wish we could get, get rid of them. But sometimes those, as the Bible describes them, those thorns in the flesh are put there for a reason and for a purpose so that you and I can walk into hope, stand in the midst of that chaotic storm on a firm foundation that is the character of God and from that place proclaim that he is still good even in the chaos. Because that is a message that our world needs to hear. Obedience is freedom. When we know that we're standing in that storm and we're not alone and there's an unshakable one that's right there with us, when we're in that place, we can still stay standing. That's what's amazing. We can still stay standing because we're not standing in our own strength. That's why we've got to recognize that obedience is freedom. Freedom. Freedom from the thought patterns that drag us down. Freedom from the behaviors that consistently emerge more chaos in our lives. Obedience to Jesus equals freedom. If you don't believe me, just try it. Try saying yes to Jesus more and more and more. What you will find is that you are more filled than you are emptied in those moments. And that's the power of Christ alive and active in you. Paul's reminding us obedience is freedom. I'm reminding us obedience is freedom. I hope, I pray that we would each get this. And if you're going like, Jason, I'm not so certain that God even speaks anymore, go back to the last thing that he said to you. Was your answer to his request or his inquisitive nature or whatever, was your answer to him no instead of yes? Go back and flip that answer. Go back and flip that answer. Obedience is freedom. Super countercultural because we value rebelling against the system. We embrace it. But we don't understand that the designer of the system has so much more for us. All we have to do is follow his lead and his example, and he will help us to see that there is life to the full and that can only be found in him. Obedience is freedom. It is freedom. There's a second big passion-filled pursuit that's so important for us to understand from this this text. It starts in verses 14 and 15. Sebastian, could you put it up there on the screen for me? It's called Live the Story. Live the Story. Paul reminds us in verse 14 and 15 that we, we shouldn't be known for our complaining. We shouldn't be known for our negative posture, our negativity. And far too often, in far too many ways, those that say they love Jesus are the most ornery people on the planet. And we wonder why people don't want to hang out with God. Because the people who say they love God are not God-like. This is why it's so important. This is not about behavioral modification. 
This is not about pretending to do something or feel something that you don't feel in the moment. There's a huge, huge, huge reality about being authentic in the space that we are. But in our authenticity, can we also claim that Jesus is king? When we feel broken, alone, abused, mistreated, misrepresented, misunderstood, can we also say, but God is still good? Or is the only thing on our lips our complaint in the moment? Man, that hit me like a ton of bricks this past week. As I replayed just different spaces, different seasons of my life, and I was like, ooh, I'm definitely probably more known as a complainer in that moment. And now it's okay to notice where things are deficient in some way, where we can improve, where we can grow, where we can gain victory, where we're experiencing defeat. Those things are okay, but what is our posture in that moment? Is our posture one that is filled and steeped in the hope of Jesus Christ or is it filled and steeped in the desire to be right? I am right and you are wrong. It's a question that I ask myself every time I talk to my DS, Pastor Eric Hallett, because he always talks about his passion for the Montreal Canadiens. And I know that I am right and he is wrong. But I gotta trust the Holy Spirit to work on his heart. And when his grandson, Jasper, becomes a Leafs fan, that'll be the tipping point. I know I talk about hockey a lot, but it's because it translates here in Canadian culture, mostly. We can talk about something that we're passionate about. We can talk about something we believe others need to hear. And we can unintentionally step outside of living the story that points to Jesus and instead live the story that points to our own selves. If all of a sudden your social calendar has evaporated, that might be an indicator that you're known more for your complaining than you are for your ability to pursue hope, your ability to understand that, ho that hope is an art and not a science. Obedience is freedom. When we, when we step into that freedom, we can live the story that Jesus has drawn out for us even when it's hard. Look, the best, the best stories have chapters that are a little bit more difficult to get through. But those chapters are the most important. Because if you and I can't navigate the tensions that we feel in our society, in our culture, with our heads held high, with the name of Jesus on our lips, in a positive way and not a curse-filled way, then who else is going to help the world that does not yet know who Jesus is know that he matters and makes a difference? It's not easy. Obedience is freedom, but it's not easy. Living the story of freedom is not always easy or convenient, which is another cultural value that we hold dear. But it is the most fruitful. In those moments of darkness and pain and suffering, it is the most fruitful. And when you can't believe it for yourself, this is why community is so important. 
you can lean on the hope that others have and cling to it and stand together on the character of Christ and weather the storm that you're in. I can't tell you how many times that has been true in my life. I think of our adoption story with our daughter, Layla. Man, that was a long two-plus-year journey, waiting and hoping and praying, anticipating. And there were seasons where Bonnie was so hope-filled and I was full of despair. And then all of a sudden, it would, things would shift and switch, and I became filled with hope and determination, and she was like, you are insane, and this whole thing is insane. Now, maybe you don't have an adoption story that points to that moment where you needed to live the story not, alone, not only alongside of Jesus, but alongside of a group of people that love you and know you and help you live forward into what God has for you in the moment, but maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a struggle with some health-related issue. Maybe it's a struggle with finances. Maybe it's a struggle with work stuff. Mental health, well-being, whatever it might be, we all have our things, and it's in the middle of those things that we need to understand that navigating into and out of hope is more about an art than it is about a science. And we need to allow our curiosity and our authenticity and our imagination to lead us forward. And we need to allow voices of people that we love and trust who care about us speak into us along the way in addition to the voice of God. Now, how do you know that those voices are all on the same page? The answer is simple. They're not going to contradict one another. See, the problem is when we're going through our stuff and our pains, we all, we want to gravitate to a community that believes in us, to, that helps us live our own version of the story. But if you're your community is asking you to step away from Jesus, that's not the right community from you. If your community is diminishing the power of the word of God, that's not the right community for you. The word of God and these, these authoritative voices that you allow access into your world will always work in tandem. Otherwise, they are not from Jesus. They're not Christ-centered. So if you're at a party and you've got that friend who is coaxing you to try drugs. That friend's not helpful in that moment. But maybe that same friend, you and, I, you and, you and he are uh, on Stoven Island, and you're at the edge of the cliff, and there's water, and you know it's really deep water, and you've got a life preserver on. And that friend is saying, like, hey, you can... You can go, you can jump, you can have fun. This will be a great experience. We can talk all about it on TikTok or Instagram or whatever version of social media fun exists in the moment at that point in time. And we can just celebrate this adventure together. Like in that moment when you're at that cliff, you should be praying if you're not. I mean, that's, start there. Jumping into water, that could be fun. And we think about, like, was God fun? Like, would he invite us into some sort of adventure like that? He says to a group of people at some point in time, he says, come follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. That's a water story, so obviously he's going to invite you to dive into the water. 
Obedience is freedom, and freedom is life-giving. The story that we're invited to live into is not one of complaint. It's one of hope-filled nature along the way. Are we allowing the voice of God and the voice of others who love Jesus and love us to shape our story forward? Or are we gathering a group of people that are helping us believe a lie because it's more convenient? It's a hard, sobering reality, and I can't help but think that there's a cluster of people that were reading this letter originally when Paul had wrote it, and and they kind of had a gut-check moment going like, ooh. Like, Like when they were reading that phrase, don't be known for your complaining. Like everybody knows in that room, if they were in a cluster of people, everybody knows who the complainer is. You can, you can see that. In my family, it depends on the moment. We each take turns. There's seven of us. We each get a day of the week. Sometimes I borrow somebody else's, so I get two. It's all in what we're known for and what we're going to be about. We're invited to live the story, to be known for living innocent, blameless lives that point to hope in Jesus in a deep and ever-growing way. But we can't do that if we're living in isolation and believing lies, because then all that we're ever living is a story of chaos and destruction. There's a third passion-filled pursuit that I think that this text reminds us of, and it's something that I'll call the joy pendulum. Paul kind of signs off this section in verses 16 and 17, and he talks about this reality of like, hey, I've invested a lot in you. I want to make sure that it wasn't wasted effort. And on the day when Christ Jesus returns, I'm going to see and hopefully see the fruit of my labor. And when I do, I'm going to share in that joy. It made me think about this grandfather clock at my parents' house, my grandparents' house. I used to love watching that as a young kid. I'm talking about something that wasn't battery operated, something that would, would tick back and forth, you know, like a tick, tock, tick, right? And then at random, random, depending if it was actually on time or not, random time throughout the day it would chime and you'd be like, ooh, fun. There were times when that clock would run out of steam and you'd literally have to crank it back up so it could keep going. And I think that when I read these verses and, and, and see the kind of motivation behind some of the language that Paul was using in 16 and 17, this hopeful idea of like, hey, I've put it all out there. I've invested in you to the best of my ability. I think he might have been a little bit discouraged because he's saying like, I hope I didn't waste my time. I hope I didn't waste my time and that's actually made a difference. I hope that it's impacted you. I hope that it's allowed you to see that this is the best way to live. And on that day, when we see our faith come to life at the end of all things, I'm going to celebrate and rejoice with you in the moment. But joy is like a pendulum. It swings back and forth. It can be annoying at times. I remember when this clock would would go on the off hour because somehow it got off time. And on, on 310, it's doing three charms instead of three o'clock. It was frustrating. It was loud. It was obnoxious. 
I can remember trying to stop the pendulum. That's fun. And if we're honest about each one of us, sometimes our own pursuit of joy is just like that pendulum. It's easier for us to be excited one day, and it's challenging for us on other days. Moments that it's easy to see the power of Jesus is alive and active, and moments where we can't see beyond what's right in front of us. And it's this pendulum that goes back and forth and back and forth, like a metronome. Believe it or not, I was actually being trained as a young boy to be a classical pianist. Thank goodness that never transpired. I loved jazz because I could think outside of the box and outside of the norm and I could beat to my own drum and celebrate my own rhythm. And so I was struggling. I remember as a grade seven kid, I was struggling with all these lessons that I had to do. Struggling so much that my parents not only bought a metronome, but one of them used to sit like behind me with a wooden spoon and tap it. No, not tap me. Like, (laughs) y'all got nervous there for a second. (laughs) To keep time. The thing about being a classical pianist is that if you're out of time, everything makes no sense because you're you're not playing music that is brand new, you're playing music that's been heard for, in some cases, for hundreds of years. There's this expectation that it's going to be like this in that moment, right in step. That's why I can't dance, because I just be, you know, groove to my own rhythm. Makes it great for parties. I am that guy going like, what is that guy doing? Who belongs to him? And all of my family is like, I don't know. This joy pendulum. Sometimes we, if we're honest, we know intellectually that obedience is freedom, but we're in the middle of a hard season and we just can't see that it's making a difference. And sometimes if we're honest, we've been trying our best to live the story that Jesus has written for us but we want to skip the chapter that we're in. And sometimes if we're honest, we oscillate more quickly between hope and despair than we would care to admit. And just like that grandfather clock at my grandparents' house, we need to be recharged in that moment, cranked up. Again, this is another advocacy for community, but it's also an advocacy for sharing your story. See, when you share your story of triumph and victory, you can't help but get energized by what God is doing in somebody else's life, and you can't share that story if you're not connected in relationship with one another. If you're solely relying on stories and and scriptures that I can speak about on a Sunday or Pastor Jamie can speak about a Sunday or Pastor Desiree or Daniel or whomever else is preaching here at Sea Road, you're missing out on a whole, whole reality of what God is up to you. If we take the time to listen and to hear, some of my staff, I've asked them, hey, when you see God at work, can you tell me? Because sometimes I miss it. 
We need people in our lives. We need individuals around us that help us see God's activity in us, through us. That's why I'm a huge advocate for counseling, grief counseling, trauma counseling, whatever sort of counseling you require, intervention of some kind, rehab. You need people who understand what health looks like and can see it play out in your own life and could point it out to you and encourage you and remind you that even in a moment where that pendulum seems locked on despair, there will come a day that it gets released, recharged, and you can walk in hope once again. See, that's the cool thing about knowing and following Jesus. He loves us so much that he isn't willing to leave us right where we are. He's willing to walk with us hand in hand into who he's created us to be, here and now, even in the midst of the pain, the suffering, the frustration. I think in this part of the letter, we're reminded that obedience is freedom, that we're encouraged to live the story, and, and we need to just know the reality that the joy, joy is on a pendulum. There'll be days where it's easier to celebrate and days where it takes more effort and discipline. And it's on those days that we don't have to stand alone. We've got the presence of God. If we love Jesus, we've got the presence of the Holy Spirit alive in us, willing to unearth in us and give us what we need to walk through those difficult moments. But also in a part of an extended family of crazy uncles and aunts and cousins that maybe would, we would never have chosen, but they're in our family. The family of God. And when we look to the family of God and we look to people in that family who are sold out for Jesus, we can find inspiration and hope and joy along the way. I was reminded of friends of mine from Calgary, Amy and Sean. Their little, their little daughter, Hope, it's an incredible story. They were uh, volunteers for me in youth ministry at Center Street Church. And what we were doing in youth ministry at these times is we had these little micro churches, these little worshiping communities and homes scattered all throughout the city. Now, if you've never been to Calgary, it's a city of about 1.2 million people, and it separates itself in quadrants, northwest, northeast, southeast, southwest. It's not like equal quadrants, the random roads right in the middle. And one of these groups met at Sean and Amy's home. They facilitated and they met with and, and cared for a bunch of high school students along the way. They had a daughter named Sadie, which also was, you know, a fun little kinship that we had. Their oldest daughter named Sadie, mine named Sadie. Amy became pregnant with uh, their second child, a little girl they found out and named Hope. Partway through the pregnancy, they discovered that Hope actually only had half a heart. And so I, I remember them telling the story with, with us and with their cluster of high school students and leaders that were meeting at their home, and, and remember them sharing that there was this expectancy that they would terminate the pregnancy 
because there was seemingly nothing that could be done in the moment. What's interesting to me is that they chose to continue to walk forward despite all the challenges that could be possible along the way. We got, I believe, about 16 months of hope before Jesus took her home. To see that community of of teenagers rally around them was incredible. To see them help finish odds and ends and pieces of projects that were unfinished and untethered was amazing. But the most amazing part of that story was their pursuit of joy in the midst of that darkness and that chaos. The pain is still there. You talk to them even now over a decade later. Certain dates on the calendar bubble up and roll around and it's, and it's a struggle. But they walk in and through that moment with their heads held high in the pursuit of joy, even in the middle of suffering. So I think what Paul is reminding us today and what I want to be reminding us of, you and me, is that it is okay to be frustrated, angry, heavy burdened. Jesus says it like this in the book of Matthew. All those who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. And I think that's the invitation that we walk into today with. Some of us need to give the heavy burdens that we've been struggling with intellectually in our brains, the, the narratives that have been running, the scripts that have been running on the background for far too long, feeding lies into our soul and into our being. We need to give that over to Jesus and relent from the self-inflicted torment that we drive ourselves through. Some of us, it's on an emotional level. Things happened to us or we participated in things that created damage on an emotional level and scheme and we have to give all of that stuff over to Jesus, all our heavy burdens so that we can find rest for our souls. For others of us, it could be physical challenges or relational challenges or financial challenges. Jesus doesn't get tired of us coming to him and asking him to do something. He's waiting for us to do that. So in these next few moments, that's the invitation, whether that's here in person, online, or on the podcast, wherever you happen to be connecting with us. Can you bring Jesus your stuff and allow him to create a hope in the midst of the chaos? If that's you, then what I want to do is I want to invite you this morning to just stand. Nobody else needs to know why you're standing. You're just going to stand up right where you are. You're going to bring your stuff to Jesus, whatever it is. Just stand up. And if you're like, well, I don't want to stand up alone, then grab somebody that's standing right beside you and make them stand up with you. Just kind of pinch them gently. And all of a sudden, they're going to say, ouch. And before you know it, they're standing up. Or pull their chair out from underneath them. So they have to stand. We're going to go to a time of prayer and we're going to stand and we're going to ask God to meet us with hope in the midst of our chaos. 
Would you pray with me and stand if you desire? Father, I thank you. I thank you that we are not alone in the midst of our chaos. I thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in your image. I thank you that there's no pain that we are experiencing that you don't have a solution for. Sometimes that solution is a longer healing road journey that we would want. Sometimes we want instantaneous relief, and God, we know you can do that. You've done that. We've read, we read about it in Scripture, and then at other times you take a longer evolutionary-style healing journey and trajectory. Lord, I don't know why that happens. It's not up to us. It's not because we've done something wrong that we're not instantaneously healed or anything like that. Sometimes... Sometimes our trajectory of growth and healing is exactly what somebody in our life on the exterior needs to see and needs to be reminded of, that you are the God of not only today, but you are the God of the long haul. You're the God that can work miracles in the moment. You're the God that can bring incremental relief over decades. Jesus, I know that there are men and women in this space and online and listening who need you to take their heavy burdens. And so I pray, God, that you'd give them the ability to just shrug it off and leave it in your hands. Not put it back on like a backpack, but literally just leave it with you, trusting that you will give them the wisdom that they need to find their own story moment forward that's saturated in your presence. Jesus, hope is an art, it's not science. Sometimes it's not logical. And so I pray, God, that you would would restore hearts and minds and hands in this space. That we would no longer be defined by lies, instead we would be saturated in what is true. Father, would you bless and protect us? Would you make your face shine upon us? Be gracious to us. Would you grant us your favor and your peace? And as we worship together through song, may we be reminded that there is nothing that is beyond your reach. Pray this in Jesus' name.